So this morning, we are continuing our study on the Beatitudes, and I believe we have a week or so left. And I, I do hope that these have been good for you, been meaningful to you. Um, you know, Jesus has a way of saying the simple things and having so much depth in the simplicity of his words. And every week, I'm amazed when I start studying on these, how deep they are and how much there is there. And quite honestly, we could be spending a, a, a twice as much time on each of these Beatitudes and still not really capture the heart of Jesus and what he's saying. And also, it's important that we try to grasp what that Jewish audience is understanding from this as well. Because remember, Jesus is speaking to them, not us, personally, at that time. There's a house, or there's a, a grassy slope full of Jewish people that are steeped in Old Testament traditions and religions. And so when Jesus is saying these things, um, he's speaking things that are just blowing their minds. <laughs> I mean, they go back to their Old Testament way of thinking, and Jesus is saying things that just are just blowing them up. And I know that they just be, must be just full of truth. So today we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And the beatitude we're talking today is, Blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Children of God. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you today and we just ask you to open our hearts and our minds. Lord, help um, the message to be clear. Help us to be able to absorb it. And Lord, we just put a, a, a binder on the enemy today that he would not have any place in the hearts and the minds of your people, mine or others that are listening, either here or online. God, that we would be able to see exactly what it is that you have for us today and that we would be able to experience it and live it out and live in it and be blessed by it. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is Jesus really saying here? What is he saying? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Well, a peacemaker. What and who are they? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Children of God. What's the big deal about that? I mean, if you were to walk down any given American street and talk to somebody and ask them the question, are they a child of God? They would say, of course I'm a child of God. Aren't we all? Aren't we all ch children of God? Well, I think the answer needs to be defined a little bit more because I think that we could say that we're all created by God in his image and we're all loved by God without equal. Everyone is loved by God without, without any judgment based upon who they are. They're loved by God equally. But there's a difference between being a creation of God and a child of God. And we're going to get into that later in the sermon today. But being a child of God means something different than just being a creation of God. To be a child of God means that you're adopted into the family. It means that there was a choice made by you to receive the gift of being called a child of God. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. 
And Jesus is, is saying this to this Jew, Jewish audience here because, first of all, they don't understand peace and they don't know what it means to be a child of God in the context that Jesus is talking about. So let's think about what they're seeing here. The, the, the journey of the Israelites or the Jewish people to date has been a very frustrating journey in their nation's history. It goes back 4,000 years. And for those that have been part of our midweek services a few months ago, we went through the Old Testament and we talked about the Jewish nations and we talked about what has happened for them. And for those that went through that, maybe this will bring back some memories. But they were a very unsettled people. There was very little peace. Even though peace was promised to them, there was very little peace in the life of the Jewish person in those years. See, God gave them very direct commands to follow with promises attached that if they would follow God's commands, he promised to bless them and to prosper them and to give them a land of their own, a land that would be bountiful with many good things. The problem was that the Jewish people just couldn't accept it. They couldn't live in it. Therefore, their very existence for those 4,000 years or so was plagued by continual unrest and difficult times and actually by the judgment of God because of their inability to obey. They were divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom with two different kings. Both of these kingdoms over time were captured by different enemy kings and different nations Both of them were exiled and taken to nations far away. Do you remember that? Does this bring back memories to those that were in Wednesday nights? They were made slaves of. Everything they had was taken from them. They lost everything. They lost their identity. They lost their faith. They lost their families. They lost their lands. They lost everything. And then through these various seasons, they would repent and God would restore them only to go through through the same process again. (laughs) I mean, multiple times they would obey, God would bless, they would disobey, God would judge, they would lose everything. I mean, they they had a very frustrating existence. And this took place over hundreds of years and multiple generations. And each time the rebellion got a little worse. But the amazing thing is God still loved them. They were still the apple of his eye. They were still his chosen people. And he gave them multiple opportunities to repent and to have peace again. So when Jesus talks about blessed are the peacemakers, I think their ears were very attentive to what is he going to say next? What do you mean, blessed are the peacemakers? Because we've been seeking peace all of our existence and haven't been able to attain it. So Jesus, what are you going to do? How are we going to get peace from you? So let's talk about peace for a few minutes. First of all, we all know that God is peace. He created everything in peace. And it was his plan that earth would be in peace for all eternity. We're going to come back to this point in a minute, a little bit later. 
But let's define peace a little bit further. Peace is defined as freedom, freedom from disturbance, tranquility. It's a beautiful thing. But there's more to peace than simply an absence of something that is upsetting or something that is stress-producing. That's somewhat of a, a negative look at peace because it's the absence of something. But there's a positive aspect of peace as well. And that, that positive aspect is a, a sense of well-being, a sense of contentment, a sense of wholeness, no matter what's going on around us. And the Old Testament person at that time, the Jewish person, would have been thinking of the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom. Now, to sh- shalom has a connotation of having a very positive presence of harmony, unity, cooperation, wholeness, good purposes in relationships, a sense of well-being, and an overall sense of just contentment in all areas of life. I mean, shalom is a very powerful, positive word that expresses basically the very nature of God and what he has in store for those that love him and that those are obedient to him. So when a Jewish person would, in a greeting to each other, when they would say shalom, or sometimes in a departing greeting, they would say shalom. What they're really saying is, may you be full of well-being. Or may health and prosperity be upon you. May God's peace be on you. It's a very full sense of God's peace. And that is kind of where the Hebrew people were thinking at that time. The Jewish people were thinking of, okay, that's cool. I get that. I want that. I want that. In today's world, I believe everyone wants peace. I think everyone wants it. Even those that are suicide bombers, I think they're doing it in an attempt for their world to find peace. Maybe not the way we define it, but I think everyone wants peace, and I don't think anybody is against it. But what is it? What is it really? And I think peace very obviously means different things to different people. I mean, let me give you some examples. Peace to an elderly neighbor <laughs> wants the teenager across the street to stop playing his drums. <laughs> I mean, what she really wants is just be quiet. Okay? Peace to the shopkeeper wants people to come in and buy his goods because when he can't pay his bills, it's very stressful. So what he means with peace is that he wants peace to be a form of prosperity because with prosperity gives peace. To the person that is in the doctor's office and they're being told bad news because of a bunch of tests in his life and he's, the big C word has maybe been mentioned or some other bad words, peace to them means good health. I just want to be healthy. So peace has various connotations or various effects on people's lives based upon where they're at in a position of life or their circumstances many times. And then the the peace has a macro effect as well. A macro level of peace in world relationships would be that there would be peace between countries, meaning that countries are getting along. 
we're trading with each other and we're supporting each other and we're peaceful. We're not having wars or rumors of wars with other countries. And that we're being very supportive of their people. There's good trade relationships and people can come and go between countries and we just have good relationships between worldly countries. That's the macro level. And then there's the micro level of, relation, of peace between relationships between people, between individuals, inside and outside of the church, inside and outside of the family. But, I mean, this is the kind of peace between husband and wife that we get along at home. We're peaceful. We love each other and we are just promoting each other's best interest and we're speaking well of each other. There's peace between parents and children that parents and children are getting along. I find it amazing that the older I get and the older my children get, the wiser I get in their eyes. (laughs) The older my children get, the smarter I am. There's some peace there. I like that. I like peace between neighbors. We, when we lived in Brighton, we were in a nice neighborhood, but we had a neighbor next door to us that was just the most miserable man in the world. I don't think there's anybody more miserable than Stefan. I mean, he just, wasn't he, Chris? He just was angry all the time. And, and we had a nice, Chris did a great job with landscaping between our houses. And we rocks there and flowers and stuff. But we had a, some plant was a, yeah, thanks, you, you could say it. A peonies bush that was a nice, beautifully flowering bush that was, I think, on our property. But it maybe been hanging over on his property. And we came home from church one day. And he had his weed whipper out cutting down our peonies bush. Do you remember that? And the blossoms, cutting the blossoms off. Well, I kind of went ballistic. I said, Stefan, what are you doing? Oh, it was on my property. I mean, I, I'm sorry. There was nothing we could do to make that man happy. Nothing. He was just miserable. And as a result, it caused stress in our neighborhood. Not good. But there's also a kind of peace that's more intimate and more personal that happens inside of a person. And before we can have peace with others, we need to have peace with ourselves. There has to come something inside of me that gives me a sense that I'm peaceful with me, who I am. And Rip, you were right on this morning by saying that we have to let go of the past. The past can bring great stress into our lives because it makes us think that we're never going to account to anything, amount to anything, because we have a past. And you said it, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. And all he does is continues to bring up lies. Now, he may be bringing up truth because maybe your past wasn't good. So we don't deny that it wasn't good. Maybe you weren't so good. But that's okay if you weren't. Because like we said at the very beginning, God has greater things in store. Yeah, yes, life is good. But it's only going to get greater as we seek that inner peace. In our life. And that inner peace doesn't come by anything that I can do on my own. That inner peace comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through that relationship with Him. So, on that inner level, what we're really seeking is a peace that a person finds within themselves. And this peace that comes is a peace of the soul. 
It's a peace that we're okay with ourselves, not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus has done. And so that gives us a peace with God. And when I can have a peace with God, then I can have a peace with my neighbor. I can have a peace with my wife. I can have a peace in the church. I can have a peace with my boss. I can have a peace with the person down the street that looks at me cross-eyed. I can have a peace with the guy that's honking his horn at me. I can have a peace. Peace just can it just invade our life and can just permeate through all aspects of our life. And that's the level of peace that I believe we, real, we all want. But I think many people, most people, I will tell you the world for sure, doesn't know how to get it. This is the kind of peace that will allow us to say it's going to be okay when the world is spinning wildly out of control around us. And it is. Peace in the midst of COVID. And all the fear, all the, the pandemic of fear, we can have a peace that we're going to be okay. We're going to get through it. We might get sick, but we're going to get through it. Amen? Peace. Peace. This is the kind of peace that the psalmist knew. Psalms chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, in peace, I will lie down and sleep. How many of us want a good night's rest? How many of us... Str- Why you had got your hand up for? <laughs> yes. Stop snoring, and she'll get a good night's rest, is what she's saying. <laughs> All right, I'll work on it, Chris. I really will. I better get back on track here, or I'm going to get in trouble. In peace, I will lay down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Isn't that amazing that God will allow us and make us dwell in safety? Psalms 119, verse 165. Great peace. Not just peace, but great peace have those who love your law. And nothing can make them stumble. Isn't that amazing that no matter what comes around us, that if I have the the peace of God in my life, that there's nothing that can take it away from me? Nothing. The enemy can try. People can try. But when I truly have that inner peace that comes through that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing will make me stumble if I dwell there. If I dwell there. The Apostle Paul knew this level of peace, and this is the way, this is the way he closes his letter to the, to the church in Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. This is no secret, guys. There is no hidden agenda here with the God of peace because he wants us to live in peace. That's his plan. This sounds very good, doesn't it? It's so inviting that the world all wants it. But it's impossible to have without God. It's impossible. You may have seasons of peace in your life. You may have, have 
um, certain times when life is good and peaceful based upon your circumstances. But it won't last. It won't last because the condition of humanity is given to strife and conflict. And there is no hope with what the world offers. There's no hope with what the world offers that it just will not last. But I want to take a minute now. I want to go back. I want to go back to creation. I said this earlier. I want to go back to the way God created the world and everything in it. Because even though the word shalom wasn't used in Genesis chapter 1, that's exactly what God had created the earth in. Genesis chapter 1, verses 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. I mean, very good. Not just good, it was very good. So if it's very good, then you can know for sure that there was nothing in it that would cause stress. There was nothing in God's creation that would disturb the peace of God. Everything about the world was in order. It was in harmony. It was complete wholeness. Relationships between Adam and Eve were perfect. Relationships between the animals and Adam were perfect. Relationship between God and Adam and Eve was perfect. It was perfectly peaceful. Everything was peaceful. The only thing that wasn't peaceful was Satan. Satan was given the world. When Satan was cast out of heaven, God hurled him to the world, to the earth. And so even in that peaceful environment that God created, Satan still had his presence there. What God created, Satan disrupted. God created peace. Satan disrupted peace. And we know the story. We know the story of, of, of Adam and Eve, and we know what happened there. We know that it was their sin, the temptation that came to them. It was Satan's goal to disrupt the peacefulness of God's creation and to introduce all kinds of stress, anxiety, worries, confusion, unrest at every level of God's creation. And look what happened between Adam and Eve. Satan, when the temptation was acted upon, didn't have to be acted upon, but when it was acted upon, then Satan put enmity between Adam and Eve. Because immediately when God came and talked to them, what did Adam do? He threw Eve under the bus. He says, Eve's fault. Eve gave it to me, God. I was good on my own, but it was her fault, right? And so, Adam, and then Eve blamed it on the, on the serpent. You know, neither one of them took accountability for themselves because it was somebody else's fault. It was an immediate consequence of this sin that both Adam and Eve, Eve lost their inner peace with themselves and each other. And it was never again to be recovered. Amazing. That one act of sin destroyed it forever. See, part of the curse of sin was not only a loss of eternal life, but it was a loss of peace in every relationship. Look at our 
Look at between men and animals today. They're afraid of us, and rightly so, because what do we do to them? We kill them. Even if we don't eat them, we kill them, sometimes just for the sake of killing. I mean, peace is gone. Peace on the earth is gone. Peace between nations, wars, for stupid reasons, stupidity. We have differences in, in our race and ethnic relationships. Racism is at its worst right now. It's been bad and it's getting worse. Political parties, they can't get along. There's unrest between employees and employers. See, when God created work, he intended it to be peaceful. He intended it to be worthwhile and good. But now there's unrest between employees and employers. We don't trust each other. Obviously, there's unrest between marriages. Look at the divorce rate. It's increasing and increasing more every day. The inner peace is gone. Look at suicides. They're in, they're, they're, the, the rate of suicide is raising at every age level. You name it, peace between people at all levels is lost. That was Satan's plan, and it looked like he was victorious in it. But, but, God is the God of peace. He's not done. So even as he watched man make bad choice after bad choice, he had a plan to restore peace that Satan temporarily disrupted. I mean, Satan would look at it, your life without God, your life would look at it and say, there is no hope. And if there is no hope, there's no peace. I know what it's like to wake in the middle of the night and have hope gone. I know when we were running E-Log and the, the business next door, and I've told this story before, but it's a powerful story because when I had to make the decision after my dad had passed and we'd gone about a year and a half trying to make it through what hurt us in 2007 and 2008, that downturn, we almost made it. I mean, we had to, we had to make about a million and two in, in a year in sales to break even, and we were there a couple years but never could get over the top. And when the decision came to close the doors and tell those 10 or 12 employees, and Larry was one of them, that we're shutting the doors and there's no more jobs here. And then to think about what I had to do to go tell my wife that, that we had just lost everything. I know what it's like to have hopelessness. I know what it's like to wake up three in the morning with the enemy right there saying, Mike, it's not worth it. Just end it. Just end it. It's ugly. It's painful. It hurts. There's a darkness there that you just can't get out of. And the hard part about it, the hardest part of it was I was pastoring this church at the same time. <laughs> Seriously. I'm pastoring a church and closing down a company. And talk about a heart that's between stones, hard stones. It was a big deal. But God had a plan. And his plan, his, his plan of redemption is to provide peace with himself for those who were formerly alienated from God and ultimately to bring peace to the whole world. I love that. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. This is the Christmas declaration. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Take that, Satan. You thought you won, didn't you? Well, you've just been given your death notice. This is the goal of the work of the Messiah. That's why he came, to bring peace back into a world that was destroyed. And this peace that God brings is not just doing away with the hostilities or the willingness to compromise on a temporary basis to bring a sense of peace into our life. No, the true peace that God was bringing through Jesus is the peace that the world needs and it calls for a complete change of nature. It requires a change. And only God can give us that change. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can, can make that change in our life. It's a peace that the world just does not understand. They, can't, they cannot comprehend it. John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Because I'm giving you a peace that the world doesn't understand. I've given you a peace that cannot be, can, cannot be acquired any other way in the world, no matter where you look. And it begins with a reconciliation with God through the power of Jesus Christ. And it extends then to reconciliation with others and the people. To the micro, to the macro. So that's what peace is. So what does peace have to do with being called a child of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. How are they related? How does a peacemaker and a child of God, what's the connection? See, in this context, another term for a peacemaker is one that is proclaiming the good news of the gospel of peace. So a peacemaker is more than just a person that gets between two people that are fighting, more than just a marriage counselor. A peacemaker is doing more than just making it okay between factions of people. No, a peacemaker is declaring from the rooftops that the good news of Jesus Christ is a forever peace. That's a peacemaker because he's bringing the good news of the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that Jesus is the Savior. What is the good news? It's the fact that any one of us and every one of us that believes in and accepts Jesus Christ as their sacrifice of their sin and makes him their Savior and then goes on to make him their Lord, meaning that they're going to live a life sanctified, live a life set apart, that person then is adopted as a child of God. Why? Because a peacemaker, a person that brought the knowledge of God's word to them, showed them the way. You see, it's very important that we recognize that it's more than simply knowing who Jesus is and that he came as the Prince of Peace on that Christmas morning 2,000 years ago. Because everybody knows that, right? Right? You go around America, everybody knows what Christmas is about. Christmas is about Jesus coming to be a, as a baby. We know that. They might even think and believe that he was God's 
child and maybe an immaculate conception. They might know that. But just knowing that does not give peace. There's a process that all must go through, including the thief on the cross, the day of Jesus' crucifixion, two thieves hung on either side of Jesus. One of them was mocking Jesus. One of them was saying, if you're really who you are, then why don't you just call your angels and deliver us all from this cross and let us down and so we can live. And the other one said, man, how stupid are you, dude? (laughs) I mean, we deserve this death. We're both criminals. This man in the middle, from what we know, he's done nothing to deserve death. And so he looks at Jesus and he says, will you remember me when you come into paradise? And what does Jesus do? (laughs) Yes, you're forgiven, dude. You'll be with me today. You'll be with me today in paradise. Wow. It's not just the fact that that, that, that that thief recognized that Jesus was sinless. No, he had to go through the process of saying, recognizing, Jesus, you're sinless. You don't deserve to be dying. Therefore, you must be designed for my sin. And he had no theological training. Believe me, that thief had no knowledge of the Bible. <laughs> First of all, it wasn't written yet. But secondly, he didn't know anything about it. He just knew within his spirit God, the Holy Spirit, was leading him to say, you need to do something, man. You need to take the next step. It's more than just believing. You need to ask him to forgive you. And that's what he did. And Jesus said, yes, you're forgiven. Today, you will be with me in paradise. The first convert. I want to talk to that man someday. I want to get his story. I want to get his viewpoint of that story. It'll be pretty cool, won't it? So for us today, that process that we need to go through is the same thing. We need to recognize that there is sin in my life. I, I do need help. That I do have a past that needs to be forgiven. And I must take the step of faith that says I believe in Jesus, and I do more than just believe. I now accept Jesus to be my Savior, and then I commit to making him my Lord And I make him the center point of my life and I die to myself and I commit myself to living for him. And a person that responds to Christ that way is forgiven and justified through faith and made right with God, thus receiving the peace that comes with that. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. The New New Living Translation says this, Therefore, I love therefore. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You want peace? Think about that. Think about that. Think about that last breath you take here and that first breath you take in eternity and you know that you're going to be in the presence of Jesus. If that doesn't bring you a sense of peace, nothing will. And then once we have that relationship, we have a responsibility to live a life that continues to grow that responsibility. This is, a, this is a personal prayer that I pray most mornings. Not every morning, I have to be honest. 
when I, sometimes I forget, but this is a prayer that I pray for myself. This is the way that Paul prayed for the new converts in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. The English version says it this way. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is a life of sanctification. That is a life of growing up in Christ, growing up in my peace, and making, it, making sure that it reigns in my life. Now, I wish that would make me joyful all the time. I wish that that would put a smile on my face all the time. But I've got to tell you guys, I'm as just as human as anybody else, and I have my bad days. And my wife will attest to that. But it doesn't make any difference. As a believer, a new believer or an old timer, we all have the continuous responsibility to live a life pleasing to the Lord so that we can bear good fruit in every good work. And that we may do something even more important, and that is we can increase in the knowledge of God. What increasing in the knowledge of God really means is increasing in relationship with him. It means that my day-to-day relationship with God gets stronger every day. I may not be perfect. I may sin. I may fall, fall back. I may have a bad day. But at the end of the day, when, I, when the Holy Spirit finally gets my attention and I finally look to him and he says, Mike, I need you to do some things again, I, know, I, I say, I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. Please forgive me again. I'm sorry. I, I've, I'm, I'm just a pitiful man sometimes. And what's the answer to that is Jesus says, okay, I will. I'll help you again because that's his mercy and that's his grace. And this is the role of the Holy Spirit being active in the life of every believer. The Holy Spirit is so important in our lives. Don't underestimate the necessity of the power of the Holy Spirit to grow and manifest in us. We're a Pentecostal church. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now understand that the moment you accept Jesus in your life, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He does. He takes residence in you. That's what it means to invite Jesus into your life. You're inviting the Holy Spirit of Jesus into your life. Jesus is physically in heaven. The Holy Spirit is on earth. And when I invite Jesus into my life through an act of repentance and forgiveness, the Holy Spirit moves in. So the Holy Spirit is in me. But there is a second experience of the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus said, go and wait for, go and wait for me in the upper room and the day of his ascension. He says, and, and I will send the Holy Spirit and he will come and he will be a comforter to you. He'll be a paraclete to you. And I will baptize you in the power and the Holy Spirit. And you will receive a new her- heavenly prayer language as an outward manifestation of that Holy Spirit baptism. And you will receive power from on high to be witnesses for me. And through that, you will be good news, bear- good news bearers and you will have peace. And that comes through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be saved. That is the next step of your salvation. You're saved prior to that. And the Holy Spirit's in you. But there's a power that comes with the second experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that just changes you. Makes you better than what you were. Better than what you ever could have been on your own. So don't underestimate that. 
We need to seek and allow the Holy Spirit to grow and manifest in our hearts and lives. Jackie, would you come, please? So what's the takeaway of this beatitude? Where do we go from here? Well, number one, if we are to be a child of God, then we first must have peace with God through a relationship with Jesus. Once we have that, once we have a personal relationship with Jesus, we have an inner peace. Now we can become a peacemaker. I can't give you something that I don't have. If I don't have peace, I can't give you peace. I can only give what I have. And this means that if we're to share the good news of the gospel to those around us, we must first have the good news in our hearts and our lives. We must first experience it. Ephesians 6, 14 through 15 says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. See, we are to be peacemakers because we're to wear it. (laughs) It's to be our uniform. We're to put it on every day. We're to fit ourselves with the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and put on the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. In other words, we're to be able to be, we're to share our, our secret. Because when I live my life in peace, people are going to see it in me. They're going to see it in your home. They're going to see it in your workplace. And they're going to say, hmm, What changed? What's different about you? Well, that's our our opportunity to share. Something happened to me. Jesus came into my life. I accepted him now. And now I'm a child of God. And you know what? That gives me peace. I can come to my boring job every day now, or my hard job, or the monotonous of life, or getting old and dealing with old age. And I can have peace about it now because I know the peacemaker. And now I'm a peacemaker and I can share it. So the questions that I have for us this morning, do you have this peace with God? Do you have it? And I know most of us here, I don't know who's watching. So I would ask those who's watching, do you have peace? If you have peace, are you sharing it? Are you sharing the peace? Time is short and getting shorter every day. This is the day of salvation. We can't afford to put it off anymore, folks. We can't afford to put this off and say, no, I'll get it later. No, today is the day. If you don't have peace, you can have it. You can have it, and it's simply by asking Jesus into your life and saying, would you please forgive me, Father? Would you please forgive me, Jesus? Would you allow that blood that you shed for me on that cross flow over my life? Forgive me of my sin. Let's pray.
Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your love, unconditional love. And Lord, I just now come to you and I just recognize the fact that I have issues. I have sin. I need to be forgiven. And that doesn't mean that I'll ever be perfect when I ask this. It just means that I know I have issues and I need to ask you for your forgiveness. So this morning, with your eyes are closed and you're praying a prayer like that, can I just ask you, do you want peace? Do you want to exchange a life that's unsettled, a life of striving for a life of peace? You can do that this morning by accepting Jesus. Now, maybe you've done this in the past, but maybe you haven't made a public declaration of it. So I'm going to ask all those this morning that have made that public that, that declaration in their lives at some point in time in their life or want to do it right now. Maybe you've already done it. Maybe you've been living a life for 40 years. I still would like you to do this if you would, please. And if you haven't done it before and want to, would you just lift your hand to the Lord and say, Father, I accept you. I accept you. Thank you. I accept you into my life, and I just want you to be the king, and I want you to be the master. And I, will, I accept your peace. I accept your offering of peace. And my life is different from here on out. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It's a new day, gang. It's a new day. If you've done that and this, you've done it all your life, it's okay. This is still a new day. If this is the first time you've done that, it's even a better new day. Share it with someone today. Jackie, do you have a song you could sing? You can lead us in? Stand with me if you would, please. Let's sing.
Now, for those that are listening, for those that are here, if you made that declaration today for the first time that you've accepted Jesus Christ here as your Savior, and maybe you've done it before, but maybe you haven't followed through on it, but this is a time where you really want to make it real, I'd love to pray with you. So I'm going to stay up front here, and if you'd like to pray, I'd like to pray with you and make that committed prayer. If online, if you've done that, call me this week or call somebody this week. Talk to them. It's important you make a public declaration of it because that way you let people know that you've changed. They're going to see it anyways. They're going to see it in your life. But this is just being an obedient way to say, Jesus, I've accepted you. I'm not ashamed of you, Jesus. I'm not ashamed of you because you're the peacemaker and you're making my life new. And it's going to be good. It's well with my soul. Thank you. Father, I just thank you for this day today. Praise your name. I honor you. Thank you for being a peacemaker. Thank you for making me a peacemaker. And for others here, that we can be children of God. In Jesus' name, amen.